All right. Hey, welcome to uh, Leadership 105. One of the things that I like to do before I start is tell some super funny jokes. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just show you some super funny memes. Look at this. The swordfish has few predators to worry about in the wild, except for the seldom seen penfish, which is said to be even mightier. Uh-huh. I'm Buzz Aldrin, second person to step on the moon. Kneel before me. You get that one? It's really funny. Come on, Jason. You know it's funny. You're allowed to laugh. It's all right. My wife gives me sound advice. 99% sound, 1% advice. Oh, that's not very good. Uh, worse than being abducted by aliens, being rejected by aliens. <laughs> ah, down he goes. All right then, very good. That's the fun over. No, that's, that's it. Right, in case you missed it, who wasn't here at last time? All right, there's a few. A few of you guys. All right, sweet. So if you missed it last week, quick five-minute recap. Uh, what we talked about last month was how to uh, connect, right? So uh, John C. Maxwell says that to be successful, you must work with others. And to do that at your absolute best, you must learn to connect. It's not rocket science, right? All of us live in a community. We have to work with other people. We've got to do life with other people. You don't live on an island. You're not Tom Hanks and Castaway. You have to be able to work with other people. And if you want to do life well, then the better you can learn to work with other people, uh, the better your life is going to be. And so we talked about the fact that underpinning all of this idea around connection is that you've got to be authentic. Right? You've got to be genuine. You've got to be real. You cannot connect with someone if you're not sort of showing up as your authentic self because they'll pick it up. And it's like, if I'm not showing up as who I really am, then you can't connect with who I really am because you're getting this fake version of me or this pretend version of me and the same uh, with everybody else. So underpinning all of connection is authenticity, is genuineness, is realness. Uh, And so we talked very practically, very quickly about uh, three behaviors that build connection quickly and effectively. So not necessarily how to build connection from our acquaintances, now we're friends, and now we're BFFs, you know, over a long period of time, but how to build connection in a a 30-second, 60-second, two-minute window when you're meeting someone for the very first time and you just want to help them feel comfortable, help them feel loved, help them feel accepted, help them feel like, man, Brent was a cool guy, loved meeting him for the two minutes at church or at work or in the supermarket or whatever it might be. I would love to get to know him a little bit better, right? How do you build connection from nothing to something in like a minute or two, because we all know what it's like to meet someone and think, they're weird, right? And you walk off and think, if I never met them again in my entire life, I'd be happy. And then there are other people you meet, and within like 30 seconds, you're like, what is it about this person? They're awesome. I want to be their best friend, right? And so we talked about three really quick things that you can do. Uh, number one was remembering and using their name. This is a really fun training to do with different people. I did it with a whole bunch of pastors uh, up in the North Island a couple of weeks ago because everybody says the same thing when it comes to remembering people's names, which is, I'm terrible at remembering people's names. It's what every single person says. The only problem is, that's not how your brain works, like your memory doesn't just pick one category and decide to suck at that and be fine at everything else. Okay, And so the big kind of takeaway from that, which was a challenge, which was that if it's important to you, you find a way. And if it's not important to you, you find an excuse. And so you can just do a quick little self-check right now and go, when it comes to remembering people's names, do I find a way to do it or do I make excuses for not 
remembering people's names, and you can tell whether or not it's important to you. Uh, sometimes I will remember people's names nice and easy. Other times they go in one ear and out the other. But because it's important to me, I will do my homework to find out what people's names are. I do a lot of Facebook stalking. Uh, if I'm going to message someone, I like to use their name. And if I can't remember what their name is, I'll contact a friend of theirs or someone that invited them to church and be like, hey, you know, what was that person's name again? Spelling is also something that I'm really fussy about. I think it's rude to spell somebody's name wrong. And again, it just shows a lack of concern. And what hit home for me with this was when I was working in radio, I don't think I shared this story with you guys. Uh, my boss, um, my program director, which was the person in charge of programming, which was me because I was uh, one of the on-air talent, talent loosely, um, but I remember I had to do an air check with her every week. So I'd go into her office, we'd sit down, and we'd pick a 15-minute section of my show at random, which is recorded onto the hard drive in the radio station, and we'd listen to it, and then she would critique it. It was horrible. I hated it. It was everybody's least favorite part of the week, is just sitting there with someone pulling your show apart. But one day I went in there, and she had a whole bunch of CDs, like 15 to 20 CDs and envelopes on her desk. And while I watched her do it, she just picked up envelope after envelope, envelope and either chucked it straight in the bin or put it on the desk beside her. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, oh, these are all demo tapes, all demo CDs that aspiring musicians and bands have sent me. And I said, yeah, but you're not even listening to them. And she said, no. I said, well, these people have like busted their guts to produce like a demo recording. Like, why aren't you listening to it? And uh, she said, my name, I still remember it. This is like 20 years ago. She said, my name is Andy. A-N-D-I. If you don't have the time to do your research to work out that I'm a woman, not a man, then I'm not going to listen to your stuff. And she said, all of these things in the bin were addressed to Andy, A-N-D-Y. That is not who I am. I'm not listening to it. And ever since then, I've been like, man, like spelling is important. These, these, I felt so sorry for these bands, right? Like they're at home, like, oh, I wonder if we're going to make our, get our big break. And she's not even listening because they put the wrong vowel in her name, right? So if it's important to you, you find a way. We talked about the fact that you need to find common ground, like people like people that are like them. And so you're looking for this beautiful overlap space. So there's you with all of your experiences and interests and passions and values, and then there's them. And then there's always this overlap space called common ground where you both have the same thing. And that's what you're looking for. Because as soon as you can find that space, uh, the sooner people will feel comfortable around you and feel like they're connecting with you. And so one of the things that I like to do when I talk with people is just ask them lots of questions about themselves. And when they make a statement and I, I hear the overlap, I'll just point out the overlap to them very quickly and then move on. Just to let them know, hey, we've got this thing in common. So if somebody new comes into the church and we're talking and I'll be like, hey, you got kids? Yeah, I've got kids. Oh, how many kids have you got? Three kids. I'll say, oh, I've got three kids too. Then I carry on. So what are your kids' names? You know, what have you got? This kind of stuff. Oh, you know, just sorry we were late. We're up late with the dog. Oh, you got a dog. Yeah, what kind of dog have you got? Golden Retriever. I've got a Golden Retriever. Carry on. It's flipping driving me crazy. I hate him. That's not true. That is not true, but he is at this annoying six-month-old stage where he ate the headrest off my sparple. <laughs> and I made, I made uh, like a brick patio, and I put these big pavers like really nicely around with stones around them. He's digging them all out. Oh, he's so annoying. 
Right? No, it's bar pool, right? And so, yeah, common ground. And then the third thing we talked about, right, was that you want to talk about them. And really, I should have put point two and point three around the other way, because the way that you find that common ground is by talking about them. Dale Carnegie wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Being interested is more important than being interesting, all right? So that was uh, Leadership 104. You can check it out on the podcast if you want to get more details, but I pretty much just summed it up for you. What I want to talk to you about tonight, uh, Leadership 105, is communication. Yes, who's pumped about communication? Yes, you guys are. Now, the truth is that communication is a huge thing, right? There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books that are written on communication, thousands of hours of podcasts that you listen to, conferences, days and days with the conferences. And so I'm just going to try and compact it down into the next 40 minutes or so. Real quick, I promise it won't be boring. Uh, I really like what John Maxwell has to say about communication. He says this, if a person came to me, uh, and just if you don't know who John Maxwell is, he's just like a leadership Savant, he's like widely recognized as probably the most influential leader uh, in the world today when it comes to leadership training. He's got his John Maxwell team, which has actually trained over six million leaders uh, around the world. And he's written over 100 books on leadership. This guy knows what he's talking about. If a person came to me and said, Teach me one thing that will help me be successful, I would teach them how to communicate uh, effectively. In fact, the rest of the quote, which I've got written down here, is this. I truly believe that a person that can get their ideas across to others through communication is going to have the key to success. Almost everything we do every day in life, we are trying to convince somebody. We are trying to influence somebody. We are trying to get a point across, a view across, an idea across. So if someone said, John, if you could give me one gift that would allow me to be successful in life, what gift would you give me? I would give them the gift of effective communication. So who knows that if someone as experienced as John says this is the thing that I would give people if they were asking for one thing, out of all of the books that he's written, hundreds of books he's written, all of the seminars he's done, he says this is the one thing that I would give people. Right? It's important. Uh, Craig Rochelle, who pastors Life Church, which is a huge church in the States, he's a very well-respected leader in his own right. He says this, there's no such thing as a good leader who's a bad communicator. If you're not a good communicator, you are not a good leader. That sounds intense. Why would he say something like that? Because ultimately, we talked about this at the very start, leadership is influence, right? And so we could be talking tonight about, uh, instead of calling it leadership nights, we could call them influence nights if you wanted to. But leadership is influence. And so if I can't communicate well in a situation or I can't communicate well with a person, then I can't really influence that situation. I can't really influence that person. And that means I can't lead in that situation and I can't lead that person. So everything traces back to your ability to communicate. If you're not a good communicator, you are not a good leader. It's just as simple as that. You might be the best leader inside. You might know the answers to all the leadership questions. You might have all the leadership knowledge. But if I can't get it from in here out to here... If I can't influence Micah or Lee Jason or change the way that Jared thinks about something, then it's irrelevant, right? So it all hinges on communication. 
Uh, and I appreciate that here tonight, you know, we, we're not just speaking to people that lead big teams. Uh, and this is one of the tricky things. I was talking to Liz about it around these leadership nights is that I'm not just speaking to a whole bunch of people that I know are going to go away, put stuff into practice with their, their wider teams. We're talking to people that are in all different walks of life. And so I'm going to try really hard tonight to present this topic in a way that if you don't lead a team, but you're just in a relationship with someone, it's helpful for that. You know, you can use it with your friends, you can use it with your family, you can use it with your workplace. You don't have to be in a position where you're leading a group of people for this to be applicable, all right? So let's talk about, when it comes to communication, uh, the golden rule. And the golden rule with communication is this. If you can't connect, you can't communicate. And that's why we talked about connection in Leadership 104, and then we went from connection to communication. If you can't connect, you can't uh, communicate. Let's just imagine for a second that we had all of the best communicators in the world on a Zoom call right now communicating with us. Who are some of the best communicators in your world? Who do you look up to as far as communicators go? Pastors or church leaders or industry leaders? Come on, just hit me with some names. Well, I'd say John C. Maxwell. I'd be pretty pumped. What was that, Kira? Oh, shut up. Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Josh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's fine. What, what else? Art Boshoff, that's right, from South Africa. What did you say, Denise? You don't know? Like, like Bill Johnson, right, Chris Valentin, Brian Houston from Hillsong, maybe if you're into that. Uh, Tony Robbins, right, if you're like into self-help and you want to spend $10,000 on a weekend or whatever it might be. Not Baskin Robbins, Tony Robbins, right? But let's, let's just imagine that you had all these people up on the screen, okay, that, that are famous for being, you know, amazing uh, communicators, Joel Austin, these kind of guys, that they're, they're all on the call. And then just imagine for a moment that we get two minutes into this amazing leadership training Zoom call with people like me and, and other people up there, right? And then two minutes into it, our Wi-Fi dies, Right, no, no connection. Now, how many people know that without that connection, doesn't matter how amazing these leaders are, we're not getting any of it. We're not hearing any of it. We're not receiving any of it. None of it is making any difference in our life because the connection you know, has been uh, broken. This, this thing here, this little wee lightning bolt between these two people, this is what all communication rests on. It's the ability to connect. Have you ever been on the phone with someone and you're just chatting away, netting away, netting away, and then after a while you go, hello, hello, and you think, when did this call die? I don't even know when this call died. I've been talking for the last, you know, right, Amanda? Like the last minute or two. Jokes. I said I wouldn't do that. You know... <laughs> Or have you been on, on a Zoom call or a Facebook chat and you're talking with them and then their screen just disappears and like the, the connection is broken. And so it doesn't matter how good someone is at communicating. We could have had the world's best communicators up on screen. As soon as the connection drops out, connection, uh, communication stops, right? And you end up like just talking to yourself being weird. So communication isn't about giving out. It is about getting through. And we all intrinsically know this. You might have never thought about it before, but we all know this. Like, think about someone that you're really close with, really good friend, uh, husband, wife, you know, family member, whatever it might be. When are the moments in your life 
in relationship with them, when you feel that communication is at its easiest, when communication is just flowing, you're finishing each other's sentences, you look at them, they look at you, you can tell what they're thinking, they can just say one or two words, you know exactly what they mean. It just, it's just, you don't even have to try, you are just on the same page, you're communicating all the time. Like in those moments, what else is true? The truth is that those moments are always when you feel most connected. When you feel most connected with someone is when communication just seems to just happen. You don't even have to try, right? But on the flip side, when are the moments in your relationship where it feels like there are miscommunications happening all over the place, you're mishearing what they say, they're misreading what you meant, communication is hard work, it's taking a lot of effort, Uh, you're getting it wrong more often than you're getting it right. It's always in those moments when you feel less connected, right? And so if you can't connect, you can't uh, communicate. And so that's like, you know, underpins everything. What I want to talk to you about tonight are the five C's that you need to be a great uh, communicator. And again, this is important because it doesn't matter how awesome you are, how much you know, if you can't communicate well with people, then you're not actually going to be a leader of any worth because you can't influence people without communicating, all right? So the five C's that you need to be a great communicator. The first one, connection. We've already talked about it. If you don't have connection, you're not going to get through. That is the essence of communication. If you want to be a better communicator, you've got to become a better connector. Um, When I speak in public, when I go into other churches and speak, I will always spend a significant amount of time, if I've never been there before and they don't know me, building connection. Like if they say to me, hey, you've got a 30-minute slot to speak, it's not unusual for me to spend the first 10 to 15 minutes not even talking about what I'm there to talk about, just building connection. I talk about my family, I talk about my kids, I tell funny stories, I will always try and tell a story that makes me look bad because people love self-deprecating humor, especially Kiwis. We've got no time for people who've got, you know, rate themselves. But if you can tell a story that makes you look like a bit of a dope, nothing that makes you look bad character-wise, morally, or anything like that. This one time I had this affair, it was real funny. No, nothing like that, okay? (laughs) I have not done that, just just to be clear, right? But things about times that, you know, you've tripped over your dog or you've gotten a little bit of, like, things that people can relate to. I'm just trying to build connection, right? I want to let parents know, hey, I'm a parent like you are. I want to let other people know, hey, I've got a sense of humor and this is fun. It's going to be fine. And so I will often spend, like, at least the first third of a message just building connection. And I'm looking to see when I've got people. Because when you start, we're just, like, naturally suspicious, unless you're Julie. Julie loves everybody. But most people, when I go into a church and I speak, I can see that they're like, well, let's see what he's got. Let's see what he's like. You know, I'll make my decision soon. And, but then you can slowly see them. They start to unfold their arms. They start nodding. You can tell when people are connected with you because we subconsciously will, um, we will reflect what the other person is doing. So if, if someone is connected with me and, I'm, and I tell a funny story and I go, you know what I mean? If they start nodding back, I'm like, there's, there's a connection there, right? Because like, we always tend to um, yeah, represent back to people what they're doing. If, there's a really fascinating study, I watched Tony Robbins do it, where he proved uh, that he could make someone across the restaurant take a drink from their glass without even talking to them. It was very, very weird. You guys are doing it now? It's not off putting it all, Denise. I'm going to have to separate you two. Um, and so he, he just kind of, he made eye contact with them, and without them realizing he was doing it, every time, they, every time they took a drink, he would reach out and take a drink, just in their peripheral vision. Take a drink, they'd take a drink. And then after about 10 minutes, he said, watch this. 
And he reached out and he took his glass and picked it up. And without even realizing, they reached out and picked up their glass and drank out of it. It was very strange. I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. It's a bit weird. Right? Witchcraft. What is this new devilry? Right? So you need connection. I think I've made that point. Right? Second C is that you need to care. This is super important, right? Teddy Roosevelt is famous for making this statement. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's a lovely thing to say. People will forget what you said. This is Maya Angelou. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. This is super important. You communicate with people based on how you see people. How you see people is how you communicate with them. And so if you care about them and you see the best in them and you see them for you know, who God made them to be, your communication level will always be higher than if you see people as annoying or obnoxious or frustrating. How you see people is how you communicate with people. And so you want to make sure that you are uh, exhibiting as much care as possible because it, that, that is a true statement. We often forget what people said. We often forget what people did, but we find it really hard to forget how somebody made us feel. There's a very funny episode of Friends. Well, they're all funny, actually. I enjoy Friends. But there's one particular episode when Phoebe was just really annoyed at Ross. And all throughout the episode, she's saying, he's saying, what did I do? And she keeps saying, if you don't know what she did, then I'm not going to tell you what she did, which was who I've been, because she had no idea. She couldn't remember and so the whole episode, he's trying to you know, make up for something that he's done or make up for something that he's said. And she's just, every time she sees him, she's grumpy at him. And then right at the end, she realizes that he hasn't done or said anything. She had a dream about him and he was annoying in her dream. Josh and Joanna, have you got something you want to share with the group? There? You've both done that before? You had a dream about the other person and then being annoyed? Who's had a dream and then woken up annoyed at the person that you had a dream about, right? It's this weird thing that we, we carry around emotions and feelings far longer than we carry around specific memories around why we feel that way. Uh, and so you've got to make sure that when you're communicating with people that you care about the people that you're communicating with. I'd go so far as to say, if you don't care about the people that you're communicating with, you're potentially dangerous. That's when you can hurt people. All right, so the second C is that you want to care about people uh, that you're communicating with. The third one is that you need credibility, so this is, this is super basic, but don't try to export what you don't have. Like nothing's worse than a leader getting up and trying to pass on values that they don't actually have or to try and communicate a principle that they're not actually following or to um, you know, preach on priorities that they're not actually keeping. So the rule with communication as much as possible is if you don't live it, don't teach it. If you don't know about it, don't talk about it. Don't pretend to be someone you're not and don't pretend to know something that you don't because that, that undermines uh, credibility. Now, here's the cool thing about um, knowing everything is that it's, it's actually okay to not know everything. It turns out that no one actually expects you to know everything. And so a lot of leaders think that if they admit that they don't know what to do next or they don't know what to do now or that there's something within their sphere of influence that they don't understand or don't know, that by admitting that they're going to lose credibility when actually it's the exact opposite. Um, it's, it's okay to not know what to do next. It is not okay to pretend that you do. 
right? Not knowing something exposes a lack of knowledge, but pretending exposes a lack of character. Uh, And so pretending to know what you don't know is displaying insecurity. It says, um, you know, I'm not confident enough in who I am to be honest about the fact that I don't know the answer to this question. Um, But when you say that you don't know, when you don't know, that's actually good leadership. And, And when you when you feel comfortable enough about who you are to just say, man, I don't know the answer to that question, what you actually do is you communicate to the people around you that that's okay. It's okay to say you don't know when you don't know. What's not okay is to pretend that you know uh, when you don't know. So, you know, credibility is not about knowing everything. Like, nobody expects us to be perfect. Um, when we lose credibility is when we say that we know something when we don't know it, or we say we're doing something when we're not doing it. Uh, we say that something is important, but we don't live like it's important. And so one of the things that I try to do, and the, it's semi-awkward delivering leadership kind of training to a whole bunch of people that I lead, because I know that you're all sitting there going, he didn't do that, or last, last time we caught up, he didn't, he didn't do that the last time we caught up. You know, last time we had a conversation, he was really insecure. So I, I appreciate that um, a, a lot of, I appreciate your grace, let me say, you know, for when I say, do this, do this, and you're like, mm, I don't know if he did that last time. Like, I'm learning about this as well. I'm certainly not standing up here saying, hey, I get this right all the time. But I think one of the things I do okay is admitting that I don't know what to do if I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I do that almost too much sometimes. Right, like I, I know that I've stood up the front in church on a Sunday and just been like, I don't know what to do next. And I feel like even in staff context, we've had conversations and I've been like, I don't really know, you know, what we're supposed to be doing here. And the truth is that that's okay to a certain extent. Oh, I just did a huge spit. Did you guys see that? Damn. That's I've got a lot of spittle because I'm fasting today. I'm just going to tell you. I know, right? I'm just going to tell you guys that. Although I probably just you had a pie. Oh, wow. Um, So here's the thing about credibility. It's not about pretending that you know everything. It's just about being honest about what you know and what you don't know. Um, And and at the same time, there's a limit to it. Like if if you've got a leader who's just constantly saying, I don't know, then eventually you're kind of like, well... Maybe I don't actually want to follow you because you don't know anything. Like you're, you've really embraced this vulnerability thing, and you're just telling me everything that you don't know all the time. So what what I would suggest in this instance is when you say to someone, "I don't know" or "I'm not sure about that," try and follow it up with, "But I'll try and find out." Like I don't know the answer to that, but I'm not going to leave you not knowing. I'll try and find out what the answer is, and we'll use this as a growth opportunity, right? So credibility is. Um, Super important when it comes to communication. I've got that picture. There you go. He's Ron Burgundy. Doesn't he just exude credibility? And handcrafted mahogany. Is that Ron Burgundy? That's Kronk from Emperor's New Groove, right? Right, right. All right, fourth thing you need. You need, uh, you guys are going to write this down, then I'm going to make you change it because it's actually kind of true, kind of not true. You need, you need certainty. See, um, 
people crave certainty. Like we gravitate towards certainty. We love certainty. We just like to know stuff, right? And so that's why when politicians are campaigning, they'll say things like, if you vote for me, then I will repeal, you know, blah, blah, blah. If you vote for me, then I'm going to lower the age of this. If you vote for me, I'm going to scrap that text. And, and they try and say really definitive things because they know that we love certainty. That's why whenever we have to make a decision and we're like, oh man, I don't know what to do. And how often have you just thought, man, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could just look into it and know whether this was a good decision or not a good decision, whether this was going to work out or not work out. I just wish that I knew for sure what was the right way to go. Like we all hate not knowing stuff. We all hate uncertainty. Now, the problem in leadership is that we can't give people certainty. Not because we're not good leaders, but because certainty, certainty lives in the space that we have no control over called the future. And last time I checked, I had no control over the future. I had very little clue about what was going to happen. And you're probably the same. And so we get into all sorts of problems if you try and give someone certainty. If you, don't give, if you give someone certainty or you make a promise and then for whatever reason it doesn't pan out because a global virus hits or circumstances change or, as I've done many times, just change my mind, right? Um, it happens probably more often than I'd like. When, when, you, when you promise someone something and then you don't deliver on it, you lose credibility, which we've just talked about. When you lose credibility, you lose trust. And when you lose trust, you lose influence because ultimately people will not follow someone that they don't trust, right? I, I wouldn't follow someone that I don't trust. And if you lose credibility, then that starts to impact trust. So uh, you can't actually promise someone certainty. So what you need instead is clarity. Uh, this is different. We can't give certainty, but we can give clarity. Clarity is like the next best thing. Clarity is honest and clarity is enough. Clarity is actually perceived um, as leadership. If you take a group of people, whoever has the ability to uh, communicate the clearest picture of what the future looks like and then give people steps on how to start walking towards that, they will automatically rise to the top and become the leader of that group. It always works that way. The person who has the ability to communicate the clearest picture for tomorrow and then give people steps to get there, they'll rise to the top. Clarity is you know, super important. Um, a great example of this, I heard Andy Stanley talking about it the other day, is in Joshua chapter 1, right? So Joshua's just taken over from Moses and he's packing himself. And we know he is because God comes along and says, dude, stop freaking out, right? Be strong. You don't have to tell someone to be strong unless they're like, I don't feel very strong. He says, you know, be courageous. Again, you don't have to do that unless someone's like, I don't know if I can do it. Don't be afraid. Like, don't be, like, just chill out, Josh. It's going to be okay. Because the guy's got to lead like 2 million people into the promise and he doesn't have a clue what to do or what tomorrow looks like. So he can't give the people any certainty. They've been wandering around for 40 years. They're about to go into the promised land. They've got no clue what it looks like. They haven't seen it for 40 years. Like how much has our area changed in the last 40 years? What are we now? Like what was it back in 1981? I mean, things look different. They change. Um, and last time they looked at it, they freaked out because it was just surrounded by giants and all these sorts of people. And so he's like, I can't give you certainty. But look at what he does in Joshua chapter 1. God says to him, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. You know, for the Lord of God will be with you wherever you go. This book of the Lord, meditate on it day and night. Don't depart to the left, to the right. You'll be prosperous and successful. And then verse 10 says, so Joshua commanded the officers of the people. So God kind of says to him, hey, look, it's going to be okay. Gives him absolutely no 
instructions around what to do. He doesn't say, hey, this is how it's going to pan out, 100% guaranteed it's all going to be okay. He just says, hey, trust me, it's going to be fine. And then Joshua says, all right, here's what I want you to do. Gather the officers of the people. He says, I want you to consecrate yourselves. I want you to get your stuff together because in three days we're going to cross the Jordan River here. So he gives them really practical, clear instructions. Get your stuff together. You've got three days to do it. This is where we're crossing the Jordan River. So a lot of clarity in his communication, although not a lot of certainty, because you can't give people certainty, but clarity is the next best thing. So when you are communicating, you want to make sure that you are communicating with clarity. I heard someone talk about this the other day, and it kind of, I was like, man, do I even agree with that? He made the comment, he's a Christian guy, very well respected. He said, clarity in communication is even more important than character. Right? It doesn't sound right at all. doesn't sound right at all. But here's the thing. I can think that you're the greatest guy in the world or the greatest girl in the world. I can have the utmost respect for your character. But if I've got no clue what you're trying to say, I can't follow you. Not because I don't want to, but there's no, it's so ambiguous. It's so unclear. I don't know what you're asking me to do. Whereas there is plenty of examples in history of people that aren't great characters building huge followings because it's, exa- it's an example, right? Yeah. I didn't say it was good, all right? What I said was that clarity is, from a communication perspective, is possibly more important than character. As far as, like, how many people know great people? Like, I'm thinking of church leaders that I've even served under. I'm like, a great person, no questions with character. But clarity all over the place. And there are people that were like, we want to go where you're going. We just don't know how to get there because you're so confusing to listen to, right? I'm not saying I agree with it because when I heard it, I was like, whoa, don't show how I feel about it. But it's an interesting thought. So the secret to being clear when you're communicating is to plan ahead, right? Put time in beforehand. So whether you're speaking in public like I am, whether you're speaking to your family, whether you're having a one-on-one conversation with someone, the secret to clarity is to stop and plan ahead. The more time and effort you put into it beforehand, sorting out what you're trying to communicate, what the outcome is that you're looking for, then the clearer you will be. Who's ever had a conversation with someone and then afterwards gone, ah, oh, I really feel like I could have communicated that better. I could have been clearer in that I said stuff that I didn't actually want to say. We spent 15 minutes talking around something that actually wasn't even the issue. Um, And it doesn't really matter whether you're extroverted or introverted or you're an internal processor or an external processor. Some people think, oh, if you're an external processor, then you're much more likely to say a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense. And that's true to a certain extent. Like my wife's an external processor and often we'll just have this huge conversation and she'll say a whole bunch of stuff very matter-of-factly, like, this is the problem. And then at the end, she's like, you know what? I don't actually think any of that was the problem. I just had to get it all out so I could realize how stupid it sounded. (sighs) You know, I'm like, okay, that's weird. I'm an internal processor, and so I like to think about a whole bunch of stuff. But even then, as an internal processor, you can still get caught unawares. You can get caught going down a rabbit hole. Someone will say something that triggers something in you, and out something comes. And so the more you can plan ahead, the more... Uh, you can be clear. I love the quote from Brene Brown from her book, Dare to Lead. Clear is kind, unclear is unkind. Right? You guys would have heard me say that before, potentially. Uh, Here's a quote from her book. She says this, a lot of us avoid clarity 
because we tell ourselves that we're being kind when what we're actually being is unkind and unfair. Feeding people half-truths to make them feel better, which is almost always about making us more comfortable, is unkind. Not being clear with someone about your expectations because it's hard, but then holding them accountable for not meeting those expectations is unkind. Talking about people instead of talking to people is unkind. Right? So clarity uh, is kind. Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. Now, this was like my, like my go-to. That's why people laugh. It was my go-to statement when I first took on the church because I had to have a lot of what Brene Brown would call um, courageous conversations. That uh, was kind of how, you're right there, Leah? Was kind of how I would put it. And, and I'm not, I don't know anyone that likes going to bed at night knowing that people are mad at them. And, and I felt like for a long, like for six to 12 months, like a lot of the time, there were just people constantly mad at me, annoyed at me, hurt by me, didn't agree with me, um, you know, talking about me. And there were many times when I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, it would be far easier to just not have that conversation. You know what, that behavior, I'm just going to let it slide. You know, that mindset, we're just going to stick with that. You know, that, that pattern, that history, let's not address that right now. And I kept coming back to this and going, no, actually, the kind thing to do is to sit that person down and say, hey, look, if you keep acting that way, then we're going to have an issue moving forward. I can't uh, allow that sort of stuff to continue. Uh, and so I found this one, personally, you know, really, really helpful. Clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And you will always be tempted to go down the unkind route because it's easier for you. So much easier to not have a painful conversation and to just hope that people change, but it doesn't tend to work that way. And then the last one is number five, you need conviction, right? It's, it's not enough for you to connect with me. It's not enough for you to speak with clarity. It's not enough for you to have credibility or to care about me. If I don't know that you believe what you're telling me, then I'm not buying it. Right, so conviction is super important uh, as well. If you're not excited about it, don't try and get me excited about it. Right? I can't stand up here on a Sunday morning or in any kind of context and, and, and talk about what I think God wants to do unless I genuinely have a conviction that that's what God wants us to do. I can't get you excited about something if I'm not excited about it. Right? And so that conviction is super important because conviction is um, contagious. I was reading a book this week and I came across this story. I've just shrunk it right down for you. But in 320 AD on a frozen lake in Armenia, which is now Turkey, uh, this is an actual story. It's been catalogued. You can find it online. There's a few different stories about it. 40 Roman soldiers declined the decree to bow to the Roman emperor and the gods of Rome. Emperor Licinius wanted to eradicate Christianity from all of Rome, so he ordered all of his soldiers to recant their Christian faith and declare allegiance to him and allegiance to uh, the gods of Rome. Uh, the 40 Roman soldiers were offered money. They were offered honor uh, to recant, but they refused. So instead, they were stripped of their rank. They were stripped of their clothes. They were dragged out into the cold and flogged uh, and tortured, and they were thrown into prison. Uh, after still refusing to recant, they were offered more bribes, but they still refused to give up their faith. And eventually, the order came through from the governor. You will stand naked on the ice until you agree to sacrifice to the gods. And by all accounts, this was a very cruel, you know, barbaric form of punishment. It was going to be a slow and torturous way to die. 
Uh, according to reports, though, many of the soldiers stripped their own clothes off and marched willingly onto the ice. As an additional form of torture, the army then lit fires around the edge of the lake and brought bathtubs in and filled them up with warm water so that those on the lake that were freezing to death could look over and see the steam rising from the bathtub, see the fires on the side. Um, and they kind of just huddled together, you know, said their prayers and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, as soldier after soldier succumbed to the cold and died, one of them gave in to the temptation and made his way to the shore, even though his, his fellow soldiers were you know, pleading with him not to go. He went. Once he got to the edge of the lake, he was celebrated, and they escorted him to one of the hot tubs. But the hot water was such a shock to his hypothermic body that he went into convulsions and died. When the one defector left the 39 on the ice, a guard that had been observing everything stripped off his armor and clothes, threw his helmet to the ground, proclaimed himself a Christian and ran onto the ice, making their number 40 once again. When the sun rose, all 40 men were dead on the ice. It's a pretty extreme example, but conviction is contagious. This Roman guard was so impacted by the conviction of these 40 men, these 39 that were left, that he literally walked out onto the lake knowing that he was going to die. It wasn't their credibility, it wasn't their connection, it wasn't how much they cared for him, it wasn't their clarity, it was the conviction that he saw that motivated him to act, right? So the fifth C of communication is you need conviction. You guys all good? Sweet. We're just going to wrap up with this last five minutes. Something practical for you. I've talked with this uh, um, with my team, but it's a fun thing to just remind ourselves of. You guys remember we talked about this ages ago, the six levels of communication? Five minutes is all I need. So there's six, there may be more, but there's six main levels of communication, right? So the first one is what we call an email, a letter, or a note. So someone writes you an email, someone leaves you a note, someone writes you a letter. This is the lowest form of communication because it's nonverbal. There's no body language, you're not in person, and you can't respond to it. So it's a one-way conversation. Someone's left you a note, someone's written you a letter, all right? So that's why it's considered the lowest form of communication. The next level of communication is a text or an instant message, which is essentially the same thing. No verbal content, no body language, no chance to see the other person, just the words, but you can respond and go back and forth. So it's, it's another level up. The reason that texts and instant messages are still uh, very low on the communication chain is because you can't read anything other than the actual words. So everybody has their own filter, and you read it through your own filter. Here is a text from uh, someone to their friend Sarah. I know I said I would sleep over, but Chris just asked if I could come to his house. You won't be mad if I go, right? Text back. Do whatever you want. Now, you could read that as, do whatever you want. Or you could read it like I would read it if Liz sent it to me, do whatever you want, right? And so your own filter completely. So when, when uh, in the first six to 12 months of, of pastoring here, I developed a filter, which was pretty, um, anytime anyone messaged me to be like, hey, can we talk or can we have a coffee? I was like, well, like, What's, you know, what's going to go down? Um, and so uh, I, I tried really hard to avoid doing any kind of communication uh, on these levels. The third level of communication is phone call. 
And this is great because you can hear their voice, you can hear their tone, you can tell if they're having a joke or if they're being serious. Um, one of the things that I will do on Facebook a lot is I will send voice messages. I like sending voice messages to Abel because I know it annoys him. I'll send him like a whole bunch at once and he's got to sit there and listen to all of them. And uh, instead of sending him like two messages with just like, this is what you do, I send him all these voice things with my musings and what I'm thinking about. Oh, we could do this, we could do that. And it takes him ages to message back and he sends me very short responses. And often we'll be like, oh, wow. He'll, he'll say, oh, wow, you're still messaging me. Oh, there's still messages coming through. Oh, that's great. More for me to listen to. I love it. Um, but, you know, with phone calls, you can hear the voice, right? So that's helpful. Uh, the next one is like a video phone call, and that's just like Skype, Zoom, you know, Facebook conferencing. Uh, number five is meeting them in person, okay? And you would think that that would be the top one, but actually the top one is number six, which is meeting them in person over food. And this is something that we see modeled in the book of Esther. Esther goes to King Xerxes. You guys remember the story? And she's freaking out about it because she says, I haven't seen him for ages. And if I, if I go in there unannounced without him asking for me, I could be killed. She walks in there. He extends his scepter out to her and he says, hey, Esther, what would you like? Anything up to half the kingdom, it's yours. Now, if that were me, I would at that moment go, well, this is what I need. Like if the king had just said, you can have whatever you want up to half the kingdom, what do you need? I'd go, Phew. Thanks for asking. Here's what I need. But she doesn't do that, does she? What does she do? She says, hey, come around to my house for dinner, and then I'll tell you what I'm after, right? Because she understood that the highest level of communication is meeting someone in person over a food or drink. Now, here's the challenge for us. This is your homework when you go away and you mull things over, is you want to ask yourself the question, whenever you're communicating with anybody, the question is, is this the highest level of communication that I could be using? Always aim to communicate at the highest possible level. So as a rule, and I don't always get it right, and again, you might be sitting here going, oh, I can think of exceptions to that. But as a rule, I tend to not communicate anything over text or instant message other than just basic information. Hey, don't forget we've got a meeting at 10 o'clock. Hey, I'll be there at 7. You know, hey, what about this? Um, anytime it starts to get into discussion or thoughts or what do you reckon, I'll try and use voice messages or, or make a phone call where I can, right? So let's say that you've got to have a conversation with someone. You go, okay, well, I could write them a letter. It's really passive aggressive. I could leave a note on their car, you know. Hey, just crashed into your car. Everyone thinks I'm leaving my details, but I'm not. I'm just leaving this stupid note. Leave it on their windscreen. Right, text or instant message. But uh, if you can make a phone call, great. Like video phone call, that's probably not necessary a lot of the time. Although most of the coaching things that I do, either giving or receiving, we use video conferencing because it's just a higher quality connection than just doing it over the phone. Also, I'm always a bit sus that people are like muting themselves and doing other things in the background while I'm talking to them. So this way I can see, make sure they're paying attention. Right, in-person meeting, again, not always practical. Uh, in-person meeting over food and drink, like I can't catch up with everybody for a meal all the time, like I've done that enough and that's causing issues already. But, um, so it's not always possible. But that's the question you want to ask yourself, right? Is, okay, I've got a problem with this person. Before I flick off a text to be like, what are you doing? Just stop and ask yourself, is there a high level of communication? Yes, phone call. Oh. I don't want to make a phone call because that makes me uncomfortable. And so here's the truth. Most people communicate at the level they're most comfortable at, 
not the level that is most likely to get the best result. That's true for most people. We go, I'm not comfortable with phone calls. Man, there is some extraordinary scary research being done at the moment around how our young people are just so socially uncomfortable with face-to-face conversations. Uh, a lot of research being done you know, by professors and classes where they're putting young people in different social situations, measuring their anxiety levels, and there is now measurably increased anxiety levels around just having a face-to-face conversation with someone because we are so used, young people in particular, so used to communicating through text, Facebook message, and all that kind of stuff. So the challenge for you, remember we're all talking about growth and how important growth is. To grow in this area is ask yourself, how do I communicate a lot of the time? Is there a higher level that I could be communicating? And the other thing, and this is where I fall down a lot, is that we tend to respond to communication at the same level that we received it rather than raising the quality of communication. So if someone sends me a snarky email... I will either, if I'm not having a good day, send a snarky email back, or if I'm feeling really mature, I will send them a nice email back. What I should do is escalate the level of communication up the chain and go, you know what, you've emailed me with this passive-aggressive or sometimes just straight up. Like, you would be gobsmacked at some of the texts or emails that I get sometimes. I'm like, I can't believe that you thought it was okay to write this down and send it to me um, or flick me a message like this, right? And it's so hard to not just email back, be like, hey, you're totally wrong. But to pick up the phone, you know, I had an instance with the guy the other day, sent me this really snarky message on Facebook. He wasn't happy with something that I'd done. And I wanted to just message straight back and be like, dude, what is your problem? But I just messaged back and said, hey, can we chat about it in person when I see you tonight? He said, fine. And so he came in, we talked about it in person, and it was still flipping awkward um, for a long time. But try and get into the habit of asking yourself the question, can I escalate this conversation up the chain? Is that cool? Beautiful. Those are the six levels of communication. Those are the five C's of communication. I made that up, FYI. didn't take it from somebody else. There's a lot of other C's that I could have put in there, but I just went with five. Uh, Are there any questions before we go and have dessert? Cake, another C word. Yeah, and coffee, another C word. And chocolate, brownie, another C word. And, and, and ice cream, another C word. Uh, for dessert, because I know this is what you really care about, we have a homemade brownie from Liz. We also have her chocolate mousse and ice cream. Any questions? No, you guys all good? Fantastic. All right, enjoy your dessert. No worries.